most of us tend to be judgmental and, and, and cruel to ourselves, when we, especially when our suffering comes from failure or making a mistake, feeling inadequate. Um, in fact, the golden rule says, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and that's great, but please do not do unto others as you do unto yourself, because you will have no friends. That's Dr. Kristen Neff, and this is The Depression Detox Show. Welcome back to the Depression Detox Show, where we share ideas and stories to help you live a happier life. I am your host, Malik Josephs. Happy Thursday. I am thankful for you joining me today as we have Dr. Kristen Neff back on the show to talk about the importance of creating a self-compassion practice. And she does this by defining what self-compassion is, and then she shares three components needed to be more self-compassionate. And then towards the end of her talk, she discusses the most common misconception when it comes to self-compassion. Here's Dr. Kristen Neff. Enjoy. So it was while I was doing all this research on self-esteem as a, as a postdoc and um, you know, practicing self-compassion in my personal life, that I realized self-compassion is the perfect alternative to self-esteem because it's a way to feel good about ourselves that isn't contingent and doesn't require being better than others or being perfect. So let me explain a little bit um, what self-compassion is. Um, and this is my model of self-compassion. Other people define it differently. But the way I define self-compassion in its most simple terms, kind of the one that's easiest to understand, is treating yourself with the same kindness, care, understanding that you would show to a close friend, okay? And so if you think about it, we're often at our best with our close friends. By the way, we aren't always at our best with strangers or out-group members or our nearest and dearest, but usually most of us have really good friends that we care about, and when they come to us and they're struggling in some way, we know how to be supportive, we know how to be understanding, we know how to help them through a difficult time. So basically what self-compassion is, is treating ourselves the same way when we're struggling. Okay, so that's the more informal definition of self-compassion. But um, when I decided, um, I, I did get a real job at, at University of Texas at Austin, and I decided I wanted to uh, do research on self-compassion. So I came up with a more op a formal operational definition, and I created a scale to measure it. Uh, and again, so from my point of view, self-compassion entails three main elements that all have to be there in order for it to be true self-compassion. And that is a mindfulness, common humanity, and kindness. I'll just explain each of these a little bit more. So there's, there's been a lot of talk about mindfulness. I'm sure most of you have had some exposure um, to it. It's really considered um, key to psychological well-being. Mindfulness is also key to self-compassion. You can't actually have self-compassion without mindfulness. 
So what mindfulness does it, is it um, helps us become aware that we're struggling. Now, normally when we struggle, we're lost in it, a process I call over-identification. We're lost in the storyline. You know, this is the worst thing that's happened or I'm the worst person ever. Mindfulness gives us that little bit of space to where we step outside of ourselves and we say, wow, you're really hurting right now. You're, you're having a hard time. Again, just like we might be able to see it more easily with a friend. Um, so mindfulness is a, a way of turning toward our suffering, something which we don't like to do but turning toward it in a kind of balanced way, all right? And then once we turn toward the fact that we're struggling or feeling inadequate, we respond with kindness as, a bo- as opposed to harsh self-judgment, okay? So we kind of are understanding to ourselves, we're supportive, we're kind. Um, now this is ideally the response, but actually, most of us, if you actually look at the research, the numbers, most of us tend to be judgmental and, and, and cruel to ourselves when we, especially when our suffering comes from failure or making a mistake, feeling inadequate. Um, in fact, the golden rule says, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and that's great, but please do not do unto others as you do unto yourself because you will have no friends, right? So if you actually look at this, we know from the research that people are often more harsh, really cruel with themselves. They say things to themselves that they would never say to anyone else, especially someone they cared about. So self-compassion turns that around and we start cultivating a kinder, more um, understanding stance toward ourselves. Um, Also, just to say, there's an action element to self-compassion. We know compassion in general, um, it it taps into the desire to alleviate suffering. And we know from brain scans that when you're feeling compassion, the motor cortex gets activated. So there's this desire to step in and help in some way. So for others or for ourselves. And then finally, this is, you know, I didn't actually realize at first that I had to have common humanity, my definition of self-compassion, but I was reading a lot about, um, especially in the Buddhist literature, the fact that um, the near enemy of compassion is pity. And I was very concerned with what's the difference between self-compassion and self-pity, because we know um, self-pity is not a healthy mind state. So the difference between self-compassion and self-pity is recognition of common humanity, okay? So part of, and actually the word compassion, the Latin means compassion, suffer with. There's an inherent connectedness to the feeling of self-compassion. So what that means is when we fail or we make a mistake or something really difficult happens, we remember that Everyone is imperfect, makes mistakes, and everyone lives an imperfect life. Everyone struggles. Now, this may seem obvious. You know, if I were to ask you, can you nominate anyone alive today who's absolutely perfect or lives a perfect life? And of course not, you can't. But what happens, especially in that moment when we fail or we do something wrong or we're feeling bad about ourselves or we get that call from the doctor, in that moment, we react as if something has gone wrong. You know, this shouldn't be happening, as if what should be happening, what's normal, is everything is perfect, and when things aren't perfect, something has gone terribly wrong. And that feeling uh, makes us feel isolated, it makes us feel abnormal, and we feel cut off from the rest of humanity in those moments. And really, we're adding insult to injury, because not only are we struggling, we feel all alone in our struggle. So with self-compassion, we turn that around, we remember 
that, hey, life is difficult for everyone. Um, and again, let, let me tell you a little story. I like to tell stories to illustrate how this plays out. Um, I remember once being with Rowan. It was about, he was about five years old, and we were at the park, and there were other parents with their children at the park, and you know, all the other kids were playing and laughing and interacting and playing with their parents, and they seemingly were having this wonderful time. And here was Rowan, he was about five at the time, stimming away on the top of the slide, banging the slide. He was very autistic at that point, um, not interacting with me, not interacting with other children. Um, and I'll be honest, I started to go down that rabbit hole of self-pity. You know, why me? Why can't I have a normal, perfectly happy, unproblematic relationship with my child like all these other parents. You know, but I caught myself because I'd been doing a lot of self-compassion practice, and I said, Kristen, really? You're assuming that all these other parents have and will continue to have a perfectly normal, unproblematic relationship with their kids? I mean, yeah, maybe it's not autism, but it could be some other mental health challenge, a physical challenge or at the very least, there's sure to be conflict and struggle in their relationship with their kids. And that, in fact, what defines being a parent is we struggle with our children, we have challenges, and we do our best, and we love them anyway, which, which is what I was trying to do. So the second I made that reframe, and I remember common humanity, I went from feeling totally alone and isolated on the playground to feeling really connected to all those other parents that were there with me. And so that's one of the powerful things self-compassion gives you, is in a moment of struggle or difficulty, instead of feeling isolated, we can actually feel connected to the rest of humanity. Um, so I need to make this point about self-compassion, because a lot of people get confused here. There is both um, a yin and a yang element to self-compassion. So the yin element of self-compassion involves being with ourselves in a kind way, kind of soothing, comforting, validating ourselves. And if you want to feel what that feels like, you can maybe put your hand on your chest, right? And kind of that sense of being here, being with ourselves, um, being kind, being supportive. But people often forget that there is also a yang, an action element to self-compassion that involves acting in the world, protecting, providing, uh, motivating ourselves to make needed changes, right? So if you think about um, the prototypical um, yang element, you may think of a mother comforting and soothing her crying child, but it's just as compassionate, the prototypical father who works two jobs to put bread on his table for his children, or a fireman who goes into a burning building and risking his own life to save people in danger. That's equally compassionate. And to feel kind of what the yang um, element of compassion feels like, which sometimes involves um, protecting people, kind of that mama bear protective energy. We're going to do this together. Sometimes com self-compassion feels like, no! Let's all do that together three times. No! 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 <laughs> you can feel it, right? It feels energizing. You know, Self-compassion is not just um, being complacent and allowing things to be as they are. Sometimes self-compassion says, I gotta make a change. I'm harming myself or I'm harming someone else. I need to do something about it. So again, self-compassion is concerned with the alleviation of suffering. And often that means uh, taking action. Big thanks to Dr. Kristen Neff for stopping by. If you'd like to connect with her, you can go to her website, selfcompassion.com. 
www.nefsoulcompassion.org. Her Instagram is Nef Self Compassion, and her latest book is entitled The Mindful Self Compassion Workbook A Proven Way to Accept Yourself, Build Inner Strength, and Thrive. And if you'd like to check out the last time we've had her on the show, you can go back and check out episode number 326, which is entitled How Do You Relate to Yourself When Things Are Difficult? And if you want to watch today's entire talk, you can go to YouTube and search for Stop Chasing Self-Esteem and Just Be Self-Compassionate with Kristen Neff at Happiness and Its Causes 18. And I'll have the link to everything I just mentioned, along with the link to the entire talk. They will all be in the show description below. So you can go and check that out. And that is a wrap for me. As I always say, I appreciate you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and I will see you back here tomorrow. So until then, stay strong. Later. Later.